Well, welcome. I'm going to add my welcome and uh, some great testimonies there and celebrating uh, together with those who, who uh, have been baptized. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Community Church. And today we're going to be finishing up the book of Daniel. We've been in the book of Daniel for several weeks now. And this week, uh, as we kind of consider Daniel's life and we look at uh, some prophecies, some end time prophecies, uh, I want to just... Um, just begin with just talking about the big idea. The big idea for this section that we're looking at today is God prepares his people for hard times, but reassures them that his kingdom ultimately triumphs. So let's pray together. Lord, you are a God who reveals mysteries. You reveal yourself. And Lord, without your help, we really don't even see the gospel. We really don't even get that. But you are kind and you are sovereign in all things. Lord, you are the God who opens our minds. You open our hearts. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to speak to your people today, to encourage them, to equip them, to train them, to prepare them. Prepare us, Lord, uh, for what you have in days to come. Help me to communicate those truths in a clear way, in a way that really serves your people today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus talked about the end of the age, and he talked about it as birth pangs, birth pangs. And so, um, there we go. Now, I uh, have had the privilege of being there through the birth pangs with my wife, Wendy, through seven children. So seven times I got to be a part of, not experiencing myself, but watching and being a part of seven deliveries. Two of those were home births. So I was there for the long, long, long haul for that. Um, but you know, when you, when you prepare for something like that, generally you take a class. So I, took, I ended up taking two classes over the time where I went for weeks and weeks to learn how to get ready for these birth pangs and for labor pains and serving my wife and you know, learning the breathing techniques and watching videos about people who are screaming or struggling or whatever they're doing during those times. And that was supposed to prepare you for childbirth and the birth pangs. But no matter how much you've prepared, no, no matter what you know, you can't really predict a lot of things about what's going to be happening. You can't predict the time. You can't predict how difficult it's going to be. You can't predict the setbacks. You can't predict that perhaps you're going to have false alarms and you've got to go back home again. You can't predict you know, what it's like to have gone what seems like on and on and on and on and on and on. They say that you haven't made any progress, that you're just where you were before. It's, it's just a very difficult uh, thing to go through. And Jesus compared the last days or the end of the age with birth pangs. And I would say that it helps to have gone through those classes because I kind of knew that some of that was going to happen to us. I kind of anticipated that it was going to be harder than I thought. And even though my experience was what I thought it was going to be, I think that I saw enough that I knew I'm going to have to endure this. We're going to have to go through this. And, but at the end of the, at the birth pangs, at the end of that, it's going to be a triumph. It's going to be a celebration. It's going to be amazing. And that's how Jesus described what the end days were going to be like. And as we look through our last sections of the book of Daniel, we're going to see, you know, 
three things, I think, that are going to help us to think about his prophecy about the last days. And the first point, well, there's three points. Uh, a troubled is multiplied. Secondly, conflict is identified and waiting is satisfied. So let's look at Daniel's prayer in chapter 9, verses 119, and look at trouble multiplied. And I'll be doing a lot of reading, by the way, from the scriptures. In the first year of Darius, the son of Asherus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely seven years. So he's talking, so Daniel was getting, uh, had been in exile with the Jews for, for about 65 years at this time. And so there were, there was, had been a prophecies through Jeremiah that you're going to be in exile, you're going to suffer for 70 years. And he got that from Jeremiah 25 and 29. In Jeremiah 25, it says this, therefore says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord, and for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting destruction. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstones and the light of the lamb. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. And then again, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah prophesied this, For thus says the Lord, For when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. I don't know that most of us think of that last verse in the context of restoring his people from being banished and, and the destruction that's happened to their country. But we hold on to that promise even for ourselves. And then we see Daniel's response to this. We see, we see his prayer to this. When he's considered, you know, this judgment that has come on his people, this, this difficulty that they've been in for 65 years, and knowing that really there's not been a lot of change in the hearts of his people, and he's hoping, he's believing that God's promised in 70 years, I'm going to restore you. It says this, starting verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And prayed to the Lord my God and making confession. So, you know, if we think about Daniel as we've been reading through the book of Daniel, one of the things you'd have to see in the life of Daniel is that this man prays. He prays when it's like commanded, you're not allowed to pray. You know, he's willing to risk his life to pray. And here he knows that it's coming to the end of this 70 year period and he's realizing, you know, we got, we got put in this situation because of how we did not serve the Lord, how we didn't respond to him, 
how we've been a disobedient people, how we've been a people who've run after all, everything else but God. And when he starts thinking about that, he's moved to prayer. He's moved to prayer. He's, he's pleading for mercy. He's fasting in sackcloth and ashes. He just wants to humble himself as much as possible so that God will respond to his cry, please God, let us return back to our place. Let us return back to the land. Let us go back to Jerusalem again. Now, we could take a lot of time and actually in the, in the month of November, we're gonna actually ask the church to devote a lot of November to praying. So as you listen to his prayer, I want you to see how, he, how he's responding to God in light of the condition of the people around him, in light of his, his own people, in light of his nation. I want you to see how he approaches God and responds to God. And we won't take a lot of time in this, but I'm going to refer you back you know, in November as we're praying to think about your prayers being reflected to God like this. Because I think we're going to see adoration I think we're going to see his confession to God, his identification with the people of his nation who are sinning, the people of God who are sinning, and then his petition before them. So it says this, verse 4 again, Pray to the Lord my God and make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning ourselves from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in the name of our kings, our princes and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame. As at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, and on all the lands to which I have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, and we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which we have, you have set before us by his servants and prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and the oath that were written in the law of Moses, and he's referencing Deuteronomy 28, 28 written in the, in the law of Moses, the servant of the God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which we spoke, he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven, there has not been anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet... We have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity that, he's, that has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all his works and all he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And again, you just see, can you? I don't pray like this enough. I don't identify with our sin as, an, as a people enough. And then he begins his petition. And now, O Lord our God, 
who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself. As at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts. Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill because of its sins. For the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem, and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your heart and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people who are called by your name. He was appealing not on the basis of their comfort, not on the basis of their happiness, not on the basis of their safety. He was appealing to God on the basis of this, this is your name that's at stake. This is your city. These were your people. This reflects on your glory. And so he was calling his people. He was calling on God and appealing, Lord, this is, this is your covenant. And you are a merciful God. And your, your name, your glory is tied into these things as he's praying. And then we see the answer brought by the angel Gabriel. And trouble, you know, here we see trouble multiplied. Daniel chapter 9, 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God and for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I have seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand in speaking with me, saying, O Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand this vision. I love, I love these phrases in here, he says. He said, it said, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and it says that he got there in swift flight. God is, is willing, God is eager, God is waiting to respond to the pleas for mercy of his people, for the humble response of his people, for the humble confession of his people. He's waiting. And Gabriel was ready to go. Soon as soon as he got that, as soon as he got that word, bang, he was right there. And he says, By the way, Daniel, you are greatly loved. You are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And then he gives us what's, what's known is uh, the 77s, this, the week of 70s. And he says this, I'll explain it in a moment here. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore the, and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat. 
but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall, it shall come to a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolator. So we have this diagram. So... Daniel's praying because he's, he's like at week 65 out of 70, and things have been really, really bad. I mean, he's in exile. He's served under several different uh, rulers. His people have you know, experienced the loss of, their fa- uh, loss of their home, loss of their family, loss of their worship, loss of many things. And so they've been suffering for 70 years. And so right as he's praying and calling out and, and hoping that as a result of his prayer, God will be gracious and bring them back into uh, Jerusalem again. As soon as he's praying, you know, Gabriel comes. He said, I got good news. You're greatly loved. <laughs> the bad news is there's 70 times seven weeks I need to talk to you about. There's a there's 490 years I need to talk to you, a bit to you about. And this is going to go, uh, he's going to describe when it is, but it's going to go from the restoring of the temple until everything is restored to the, end of, to the end of the age, to the end of the age. And so what he thought was just five years to go, I'm sure, now became added on another 490 years that God is going to describe to him. And as you look at this diagram, and, and, and we're not going to go to the detail that, that many would like us to go, I'm sure. And actually, you can't find a section that's more debated and tried to be parsed out than, uh, than this section and, and many of the end-time prophecies. And a lot of people have done a lot, a lot, a lot of work to try and um, calculate out everything. And there's many interesting things and helpful things, but there's always problems with just about every one of them. So I'm not gonna, that's not going to be our purpose right now because I don't think that's the purpose here. We'll see in, in this. But there is a, there is a, there is a Lamaze class <laughs> that's going to help you and it's going to help us. There's a, a childbirthing class, so to speak, that's going to give you an understanding of what is coming and what to look for and what to be prepared for. And so you see this first section here, it begins when the, the temple uh, is going to be rebuilt. And Artaxerxes did a decree to, to Nehemiah that, to go back and start this temple. So that from the, from the first line you have on your left, you'll see seven weeks, 49 years to complete the rebuilding of the temple. And so that's a, a 49-year period of time. And then after that, there's going to be 62 weeks, which is 434 years, where there's going to be lots and lots of turmoil and lots and lots of kingdoms coming and going, and there's going to be a lot of things happen. And and we'll reference that in chapter 11 in just a few minutes. But after that, after the 69 weeks of this period of time, it says Messiah is going to be cut off, and we... On the other side of this, in the New Testament, understand that that's the crucifixion. 
And then we're going to know that Jerusalem and the temple is destroyed in AD 70. So we, we we're aware of that, and that's going to be referenced as well. But there's this gap of time that we don't really know where it is and when it starts. But it's the 70th week. And during that 70th week, the Antichrist will come and he'll start it, he'll have a covenant, it says, with Israel. And then halfway through that period of time, three and a half years into it, Antichrist breaks the covenant and demands to be worshiped himself. And then things go really bad after that. And then at the very end, Messiah returns and the, the accomplishments, which we'll see here in a moment, are accomplished. Now, remember last week when Don was talking about Old Testament prophetic perspective? You know, he talked about how there's, like when you look at a range of mountains and you just see all these mountains, you think that they're right next to each other. And that's how prophecy works in the Old Testament. Like you see something in a prophecy and you think, you know, that 70th week is right after week 69. But when you get to the top of the mountain, if we got to the top of the mountain, we'd say, oh, wait, that mountain is still off in the distance somewhere. That's, that's, how, that's how this 70 weeks work. The 69 weeks kind of stack up against each other, but then there's this gap, and the 70th week is out there somewhere. And there's actually going to be hints, and there's going to be... Um, types of antichrists that are going to keep coming in that period of time. But the end isn't quite here yet until we get to that time. The next picture. So you, you have what Don shared with us last week, which was, you know, there is an, there is an immediate uh, fulfillment of the prophecy, probably for the hearers at that time. But actually, there's ripples that go out. And so when we talk about these, these, these things that are going to happen in the future, it may have happened or did happen in a, in a short period of time, but actually that continued to be fulfilled, sometimes in greater ways, even as you went out in history. Next, next slide. So in summary, the first seven, this first seven uh, sevens, the first 49 weeks begin with the command to rebuild Jerusalem in Nehemiah in about 445 B.C. Or if you take the Ezra, there's some, you know, like I said, each of these kind of takes a different, uh, a little bit different look at things. So Ezra, from the book of Ezra, it could be 458. This period ends with the completion of the, of the rebuild of Jerusalem at about 49 years later. The next seven, 62 sevens, extend from the end of the first sevens to Christ's first coming. Christ's first coming, his baptism is, it could be one of those dates, A.D. 6, 26, or his presentation at uh, 33 A.D. But there was, we were talking about there's this gap. The 70th week. And it's separated in time from the 69th. And Daniel, will look at verse uh, 26 and 27, look both at the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and the coming of the Antichrist in three, uh, at, the, at the end of the age. So, um, just flip back one more time to this, this chart. Yep. So that's what you're thinking, that's what you, that's what, that's what this angel was in a hurry to come and tell him. 
I want to let you know this is what's going to happen at the end of the age. Let's see. All right. All right. Sorry. Um, so, then we go on to our second point, which is a conflict is identified. Conflict is identified. So, Daniel chapter 10 says this, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who his name is Belshazzar, Belshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of vision. In those days, Daniel was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, I was standing on the bank of a great river, that is, the Tigris, and I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Upez around his waist. His body was like barrel. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words were like the sound of a trumpet. So this is like... The people have gone back to Jerusalem. This is, this is years later. People have gone back to Jerusalem. They're not doing a they're getting a lot of They're getting a lot of hassle on going back there. And, and a lot of the local people, groups around there, are just really giving them a difficult time. And nothing's really happening. Not much progress is going on. And so three years into that, Daniel's here in this situation here. He's praying. He's mourning. He's fasting again. And it says, he's done this for like three weeks. And then this man, angel, shows up. Now this angel, you know, if you read the book of Revelation, it really looks like, is this, is this the Lord showing up? Is this the pre-incarnate Christ showing up? And there's a lot of reasons not to think that, which we'll see here in a minute, because he, he's going to need some help. He's going to need some help from Michael to come and help him out. But for three weeks, he's, he's fasting. Now, as we think about the area of prayer, it's helpful to understand uh, that the conflict is not just what you see. The conflict is not, is not flesh and blood around us. It's not the political forces. It's not the rulers in this world. It's not your neighbor. <laughs> you know, the conflict is deeper and broader and, and more serious than you would even imagine. And so God's going to take, pull back the curtains a little bit, so to speak, and say, I want you to know what's really happening in this situation, because you've been praying and you've been fasting. And he says this, starting verse seven, it says, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell on them and they fled to hide themselves. So they didn't see this, this being, this angelic being, but they were trembling. So I left I was left alone and saw this great vision and no strength was left in me. My radiant Appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and I heard the sound of his, his, of his words. I fell on my face in a deep sleep with my face to the ground, and behold, a hand touched me and set me up, trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. He says that again. This, uh, this is another one saying, O man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright. 
for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. And he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Again, you see the, the, the response of heaven, of God's, God's beings, as soon as we're praying. But watch what happens, it says. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia, this is a demonic power over, over geographic area of Persia, withstood me 21 days. He was trying to come to Daniel, and he was in, he was in battle with this demonic force, the, the prince of Persia, for 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand that, that what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision for, is for days yet to come. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me, and he said, O man, greatly love, fear not, peace be with you, be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, let my Lord speak. For you have strengthened me. And he said, do you, not know, do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of the truth. There is none who contends by my side except against these except Michael, your prince. So it's thought that you know, Michael was this very powerful angelic being that probably was assigned you know, many times to the Jews. So our, our next point, you know, after we've heard that is, this, you know, there's an earthly battle as well. There's an earthly battle as well. And for the sake of our time and just the way it would take to go through all these things, I'm going to just give you some broad stroke understanding of, what, of what's going to happen. Because, you know, watch that there had been a, a demonic battle against uh, the angelic being for 21 days to keep him from getting this word to Daniel and the Jewish people. So he says, in, I just grabbed a few of her beginning verses. Says, and now I'll show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall rise in Persia and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has come, become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all the kingdoms of Greece. And so in this next section of, of, of the chapter 11, there's actually probably about 15 kings that are referenced. And, there's, and, and, and he goes through kings from Medo-Persia to Greece to Egypt to Syria. He goes through all these kings because he's, you know, these are the 62 weeks where he's talking about, okay, they've, they've, they've restored Jerusalem. And now for the next 343 years or whatever, 434 years, there's going to be all this battle, all this turmoil, all these difficulties, all these things that are going to happen, all this chaos, all this turnover of kings during this period of time. The ESV commentary says this. It says, this passage gives a selective yet detailed overview of the flow of history from the time of Daniel in the late 6th century B.C. until the end of the world the final climactic conflict and victory of God. 
Such an assurance of God's sovereign control of history would have been profoundly relevant to Daniel's day. Judah was about to be restored from exile, and yet it was not really free. It would be subject to the Persians, then to Alexander's Greeks, the Seleucids, the Ptolemies. The vision is there for the reassurance of the faithful. He doesn't give everything that's going to happen from 6th century B.C. to the end of the age. He doesn't really need to. And really, it's not like we need to know all the details. But he gives amazing details. Like he selectively drops in on certain kingdoms and certain situations so that if you were, if you were a person living in that era and you saw those things start to happen, you would say, wow, the Bible is really true. Wow, God really knows everything that's happening. God's really in control. God really is involved in governments, in kingdoms, in circumstances. God is not aloof to those things. And he wants us to know that he's behind the scenes involved in all those things. And that would give you being persecuted, you being oppressed, you being displaced, you going through difficult times, you watching uh, kingdoms fall and governments fall and difficulties happen, and that would give you and I a sense of God is big, God is powerful, God is in control. And so even some biblical critics can't believe how accurate the prophecies were through chapter 11 just pointing out various things that were going to happen. They thought, well, man, Daniel had to be written like way, way in the future because there's no way that, that anyone could prophesy and know those things. Except God does know those things. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows it from the foundation of the world. And at the end of chapter 11, he actually drops quite a bit into a, 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 an antichrist the word antichrist is used differently throughout the scriptures. It was in, Den in Daniel chapter 7, he was the little horn. Later on chapter 9, he was the coming ruler. In the New Testament, he is the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians. Uh, he's the man of destruction. In Revelation, he's the beast. But in this part of history, most people believe it's it's. Antiochus Epiphanes IV, a Roman, a Roman who fulfilled a lot of the prophecies that were talked about here, how he destroyed the people, he, he battled the people, he defiled the, the temple, how he even uh, set up a sacrifice of a pig in the temple in the Holy of Holies. And yet, if you really study his life, all the things that are said about the Antichrist that comes in that last week, he doesn't fulfill everything that's there. He does say a lot of bad stuff, but he doesn't do all the bad stuff that's talked about. And so we don't have a real clear line of where, you know, he fulfilled all these things to where it's really somebody else who's even worse than him coming. And that's how, that's how the 70 weeks is presented. So what do we do? You know, we look at chapter 12, the end of this book, and, we, and we're probably landing very similar to where, where um, Daniel was at that time. And, and that would be waiting 
and being satisfied. So let's look at Daniel again. At that time shall arise Michael, a great prince who was in charge of your people. There shall be a trouble such as never have been since there was a nation until that time. This is talking about the last 70th week. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name is found written in the book of life, written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. He's talking about that end time. He's talking about that return, that return of Jesus Christ. He's talking about, you know, what's coming. There's, uh, I actually missed this slide. I apologize. I think I missed it. But, you know, there's six things that are going to occur at the very end, at the very end of the seventh of the, last, of the last week. Rebellion will be finished. There's going to be an end to sin. There's not going to be any more sin. Atonement for iniquity will take place. Everlasting righteousness will be brought in. Vision and prophecy will be sealed up. There won't be, at the very end of time, when Jesus Christ returns, there won't be any need any longer for prophecies. You know, there won't be any need any longer for visions because it will all be done because he will be here. We will be with him. The most holy place of the Holy One will be anointed. It'll be, he, will be, he will be in our presence and we will be uh, in his temple. And it says, you know, all these horrible things can be coming, but this is the victory that's coming as well. And this is a glorious thing for those who, who put their hope in him because it says those who sleep in the dust, they're going to wake to everlasting life. But there are going to be some who are going to wake on that day. It will be everlasting contempt. Who, those who don't know God, those who have not put their hope in Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who have turned from him, those people will have eternal destruction, the scriptures say. But in this season of turmoil, in this season of birth pains, where we, it seems like it's close, but it seems like it's far away, what do we do? We continue to wait, waiting with a hope that we will be satisfied. But endurance is needed. Verse 5, then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on the bank of the stream and one on, the bank of, uh, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who were above the waters of the stream. He, he raised his right hand and, he left, and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things will be finished. I heard it, but I did not understand. And perhaps because of the New Testament, we have a little bit more of an understanding. But the how long is it going to be has been a question down the ages. 
And people have thought and saw the signs being fulfilled and they thought, Lord, how long? Isn't it time yet? And it says, and, and then I said, oh, Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken until away and the, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, it shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But you, but go your way until the end, and you shall rest and stand in your allotted place in the end days. So how do we live in this time? What would we learn from this book, but specifically from this chapter? We, we should be comforted first and foremost about God's protection of us. We should be ready for trouble and intense persecution. We should count on God to rescue his people. We should put our hope in a resurrection that they can't take away from us. We, shall live, we should live wisely and point others to Jesus. And this is our, I think this is our primary call as a church. Our primary call as a church is to live wisely and to point people to Jesus. We should treasure God's word and grow in our understanding. We should patiently trust that God will end things at the right time. Worship team, you can come. We should pursue holiness and rejoice in its fruits. And we should endure to the end knowing that it's worth it. I know many of you have had, you know, been in those labor pains for long periods of time. And you wondered, can we make it? Is it possible? You know, are we ever going to see that baby? Is it ever going to come? And generally speaking, yes, baby came. And I think God would have us live differently in light of his return. Just as Daniel was praying, Daniel was calling out to God, Daniel was humbling himself, God, you know, have mercy on us. I think that it's a time for us to, to be looking up, speaking about Jesus, and calling out to God. But the hope that we have is in the big idea I want to close with again is that God prepares his people for future hard times but reassures them that his kingdom ultimately triumphs. And though there's difficulty and though there's suffering, there's a triumph coming. There's a hope that we have. Whether it comes in our lifetime or whether it's a future lifetime and he gathers some more people to be in his eternal kingdom. Let's, let's look and let's long for him. Why don't you stand together and let's sing, Even So Come.